We're going to go, we're going to jump into the word. I'm very excited. I got a ton of revelation out of this word. It is a very simple word, but I feel like it's a very encouraging word. It's a very empowering word. And one of the things that I want to encourage each of us as we're here tonight is step one, you're here. That's a very big thing. Everybody should clap to church tonight. That's big. Okay, but the second thing is that we don't want to leave hungry. Okay, don't leave hungry, meaning you're here. If you are here, if you say, God, I want something, I want exactly what you have in store for me tonight, he's going to give it to you. He will feed you. He's faithful to feed. And he never, if you read through the Bible, he is a God of leftovers. He never feeds just enough. There's always leftover. So point one, you came to church. Point two, don't leave hungry. If you leave hungry, it's because you weren't receiving. So can we all receive tonight and get everything that God has for us? Um, we were driving to Arizona this last weekend for a rodeo, and we had left super early in the morning. And so Oren's the early morning driver. I'm the late night driver. And so we're leaving early in the morning. So about mid-afternoon, he's going to take a nap. And so I start driving. Well, I'm coming. We're out of Phoenix, and there's a bunch of, there's not mountains there, but there's these awkward, windy hill things. So I'm coming down these hills, and Oren is sound asleep. The semis told him all of these people are going to test to get their CDL because time is running out because they are terrible drivers. None of them should pass. So that was my um, observation. That's what I thought they were all doing. But we're coming down the mountain and I, I never, I mean, you don't slam on your brakes going downhill when you got horses in your trailer because they're worth lots of money and it's really sad. So we're coming down and this semi goes into this lane and cuts off his entire line of traffic. So then they all swerve in front of me to then pass the semi who's simultaneously passing another semi. So they hit their brakes and he swerves back over, just about taking out the whole line of traffic. So I just go and start hitting my brakes as fast as I can without throwing stuff down. Well, Oren wakes up to my stop and uses his, you know, his passenger brake. So he grabs the bar and is like, ah, ah. <laughs> and that's how he woke up from his nap. Okay, it was, it was a good time. But I say that because it is the best thing that I can describe how I feel where our lives have gone. And then I've talked to several people um, that this year we got off to a really good start and you're making good time. But then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like this news came or this unexpected thing happened, or this situation came up that you did not think that you would be facing. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, and your spouse is like, uh, 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 okay? And that's where, that's the season that we're in right now. I feel as a church, and just, it's just several people that I've talked to, and I know that's where we've been, is we're like, man, we are making real good time until something else that we cannot control has cut in front of us. And we're trying to slam on our brakes. So that is where this message came from. So my title tonight is Persisting Through Resistance. We just came out of the fast, and I know during the fast, when I talk to people, and I know for sure in our lives, it was like, man, we're seeing so much breakthrough. We have really, like, we chose to dive in rather than any time before, and we're getting just revelation is flowing, good things are coming, good things are happening. And then we had that slam on the break moment. So now we've come out of this season of prayer and fasting and then, okay, well, I didn't think I would be here. And then we question like, should I pray and remind God that I was one of the ones that did fast? <laughs> that maybe he confused me with someone else. Like, no, I fasted. I shouldn't be facing this because sometimes that crossed my mind. I think God has a sense of humor. So that's great. But how, when we're facing this resistance, how do we persist? Because the only way to break through resistance is with persistence. So that is where my title comes from. And so we're gonna go through seven points. And these are seven points that, um, whether you're in a season of that resistance, maybe you're still getting along real good on the highway on your way, that's fine. These are good points that you can have now to prepare, or maybe you just came out of that season. But regardless of what season we're in, the Word of God always does two parts. It's for us in our life, and it's for someone else in our life. It is never just for us. And you know, with a, just an a illustration with that, we went snowboarding a couple weeks ago and we're getting out of the pickup, getting ready to walk up. And I have this little tool and we are only going a half a day. So we're really only going to be up there for a couple hours. And so I have this little toolkit though that has screwdrivers and all kinds of stuff for my bindings. And I 
throw it back in my snowboarding bag and I felt like you should take that. And I went, no, I just, I just tightened my bindings. I don't actually need it. We're good. Like we're only gonna be up here a couple hours. So I keep it back in the bag. Well, then again, I feel like this strong urgency that I should take my toolkit. And I went, they're tight, I don't need it. So I put it in my pocket anyway. We go on three runs. We get to the top of this next run and there's this group of snowboarders and they're all sitting down and this guy's binding had fallen off. Like it's not even on his board. And he's like, does anybody have a screwdriver? All of us and no one has a screwdriver. And they're just yelling up at the top. And I went, you've got to be kidding me. But so when I take that to the top and I find out I had tools that weren't meant to be for me. And when I'm only thinking about myself and what these tools do for me, then I might leave them at home and it's the very thing that someone else needs to be able to go where they're supposed to go and do what they're supposed to do. And so wherever we're at in this season, these seven points, I promise you, they will help you or they will help somebody else. And so don't pass it off that you're like, oh no, I don't need my brakes yet. Take these notes, these are, these are phenomenal. So point number one is to know him. So in how do we persist through this resistance? Point number one is to know him. And when I say know him, I truly mean know him, not know about him, not know what he has done, because that's, that's very common. We know what he did in the Bible. We know what he's done for someone else. Do I know him personally? And here's a quick test for that. Okay, this is how we know. Do we truly know him or have we fallen prey or fallen victim to just knowing about him? We come to church, we pray, we read our Bible and those are all phenomenal things. But until we have a personal relationship with Jesus, we can never know the will of God for our lives. We will assume we know the will of God and we all know what that does. Don't say that out loud. You can't say that in church. Um, so here's the test, knowing him results in doubtless faith through trust. Knowing about him results in hope through understanding. And I'll explain those. So when I know him, when I'm believing for something, when I face something, when things aren't going quite as I planned, then without a doubt, I go, I know my God's gonna come through and I don't question it. I trust him, I don't have to understand, I don't have to know how, I don't know, have to know when. I know without a doubt, I do not question God's coming through. However, when we know about him, then we'll be in a position where we go, I, I'm, I'm praying, I do all, I, I'm doing everything that I know to do, but I don't, I mean, I hope he comes through, but I need to, we have the know, we, we've got to understand why, we've got to understand how, we've got to understand what we're facing. And so in hoping that he comes through on our behalf, we simultaneously are facing this, but I have to have understanding. God, I need to understand. God, I, God never told us to understand. So when we don't truly know him and we only know about him, we just hope he's gonna come through. When we truly know him, you can't persuade us that he's not gonna come through. Do we see the difference? So that's a quick test for us to look at. And that's not to bring any guilt, shame, condemnation, any of those things. But we're living in a world that's going downhill real fast. And it is vital that we know who he is. And that has been an urgency as I've been praying an urgency throughout the fast that we truly know Jesus and not just about Jesus. Because here's what else happens is when we know just about him, then we can be convinced by the enemy to be presented something good, to be presented something just like God would present us, to be presented a very, 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 very close copycat but I don't know God personally, so I don't know really if that's God or really if that's not. And the story that pops in my mind with that, and I go, it's a, a scary world, honestly, that we live in outside of knowing Jesus. If you think, so remember when Moses went to talk to Pharaoh about letting his people go? And he gets there and God said, you're gonna throw your staff, because he goes, how will you know? And he said, I'm gonna throw my staff down, and it's gonna turn into a snake, and then you're gonna grab it again, and it's gonna turn back into a, to a staff. Okay, he gets there, and he goes, this is how you know it's God. The magicians played the same trick. Which one's God? I like to put myself in the stories whenever I'm reading through the word, and I thought about that. I go, if I was an Israelite, would I know which one was really God and which one wasn't? Because if we just know about God, then we tend to follow the signs and wonders of God because we assume that's always his will. 
And that's always where he's at. And that's always what he's doing. The enemy can absolutely play some of the same tricks just to get us to fall into the trap. So outside of knowing him and his character, we can be deceived by the enemy and not even know it. So it's so important. So point number one, know him, know him. And I'll repeat again, but it's impossible to know his will outside of a relationship with him. Um, Throughout the word, just another thing that I want to point on before we move on to point two is that he is truly all we need. Throughout the word of God, when you read anything about God, he never says, I have this to offer. He always says, I am. When we know about God, we will always seek the things that he has to offer instead of seeking him personally. When we really recognize that he is all we need, he doesn't have all we need. Because when he just has all we need, then we go to get what Walmart has all we need. When you go to Walmart, do you buy the whole store? Only when you're hungry. But normally, when you go to Walmart, do you buy the entire store? No. You go get and you pick and choose what you need, you buy it, and you come home. See, outside of a relationship with Jesus, that's how we'll treat him. That today, on my pickup order, God, what I would like is just these few items, and if you could give me those, that'd be great. But what we're doing is we're trying to seek his hand instead of seeking who he is, and so we are getting what we think we need to accomplish what we don't even know is his will. Does that make sense? How crazy that we could fall into that trap. So point number one, in order to persist through the resistance is to know him. And that comes through a relationship with him. And just practically you're going, how do do I know him? I, I received Jesus, that's salvation and that is excellent. You are going to heaven. But we can receive salvation. And the second part of that is we actually have to walk out our salvation because we can receive salvation and go to heaven and still be deceived and live like hell on earth. Or we can walk out our salvation. So there's two sides of that. So one, yes, point, the, the first part of knowing him is actually receiving him. But then through that, we get to know him through his word. The Bible says in the beginning where the word was, the word was with God, the word was God. He is the word of God. This is the inspired word of God. They are one and the same. So we know him through his word. But then we actually have to have communication with him. We actually have to talk to him. Because when we think about how God designed things in the beginning, okay, he, he had Adam and Eve in the garden. And it says that he walked with them and he talked with them. That was his design. He wants to walk with us and to talk with us. It says that his sheep know his voice. Do we know the voice of God over the voice of the world and over the voice of the enemy? Do we know the voice of God over the voice of really holy people that speak into our lives? because really holy people are still just people. That's where we have to know the voice of God. So that's point number one. Point number two, you have what it takes. So when we're facing these circumstances, these things that come up, sometimes they seem so overwhelming. You're like, I don't even know how I'm gonna face this. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. I don't know, I don't even know where this came from. Did I cause it? Did someone else cause it? I don't know what to do with this circumstance. And here's point number two, is that you have what it takes, but the second part of that is through him. Because there's this whole other side that sometimes we think, I have what it takes to face this. God gave me strength, I can face this. When you try to do it in your own strength, you're eliminating God from the picture and you're trying to walk something out that you don't understand because we're doing it outside of being submitted to God. So that's why this has to come after point number one, because when I know him, first and foremost, now I know what I'm able to do through him. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. You're like, oh, we're going to preach a whole message and not go to the Bible. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 is where we're going to start. I know you were all just taking so many notes. You didn't know that we cheered. It'll be fine. I forgive you. And I told you wrong, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. I read that and was like, well, that has nothing to do with my message. So I got to figure out real fast how to preach that. And then I decided I would just check the other book. Um, all right. So 10, 12, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Okay, that is incredible to me because it's not, God isn't our, our tempter, but here's what he says. He says that he will not allow us, and the other translation says be tested. He will not allow us to be tested beyond what we are able to bear. So anything that I face in life, think about this. Think about all the things that you've walked through. Think about all the things that you're walking through right now and think about all the things that you're gonna walk through later. Anything that you face in life, this should bring so much encouragement. Anything that you could ever face, you already have it in you to bear it. You already, I mean, is that crazy? It's already in you. Nothing can come at you. Nothing that the enemy throws your way, nothing that someone else throws your way, nothing that you can cause yourself. Are you unable? to bear it? Are you unable to handle? Are you unable? But remember the second part of that, it's through him. In our own strength, no, we can't handle it. In our own strength, we won't understand. In our own strength, we won't know how to fight. In our own strength, we probably will be overcome. But in God's strength, John 16, says to um, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have testing. In this world, you will have tribulation but I have already overcome. So we serve a God that has already overcome. That same God is living on the inside of us. So anything that we face in life, all we have to do is surrender it to him and we're able to face that thing. We might not know how, we might not know when, but we have the ability inside of us. We already have what it takes to face whatever comes that way. Is that so encouraging? I just love that, but it's not in our strength. Philippians 4.13, very common scripture. I can do all things through Christ. Sometimes we forget the second part and we're like, God, you said I can do all things. No, he said through me. But again, I did not say I can do all things through knowing about Christ who strengthens me. So we have to go back to point one again. I can do all things through my relationship with Jesus who strengthens me through knowing him personally, who strengthens me, excuse me. And so, the, I mean, there's just a big difference there. And then I already went through John 16, But then here's another point that was huge to me in this. We hear the scriptures, you know, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And we know that if we have him, we have everything. But think about this. He has given us the capacity to trust, believe, forgive, love, be strong, do not fear, do not worry, have faith, all the other commands in the Bible, God has already given us and equipped us with the capacity to be able to do it. Because sometimes we face things and you're like, I know that your Bible says, or your word says, his Bible, uh, do not worry. I know that it says to be strong. I know that it says to forgive, but I just can't do it. You're right. You can't, but you can do all things through your relationship with Christ who gives you strength. You have the ability to forgive. You have the ability to love. You have the ability to overcome. You have the ability to be strong. You have the ability to not fear. You have the ability to be anxious for nothing because every command that God gives in the Bible, he has already equipped you with what you need to be able to do it. And this was huge along with that. Let's go to Matthew 14. 22. There's only one Matthew, so I couldn't have messed up the book this time. And it says, but now the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, is it a ghost? They cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. Okay, stop really quick. What point did we just make? Anything that Jesus commands us to do, he's already equipped us and through him, we can do it, correct? 
Okay, Peter understood this. Why didn't Peter just get out of the boat and start walking to Jesus? Because he understood in his own strength, he couldn't. What did he say? This is, this is huge. He said, if it is you, command me to come to you and I will come. Peter understood that anything Jesus commanded him to do, he was equipped and able to do through his relationship with him. And so as soon as Jesus said, come, he said, okay. And he got out and he walks on water. Peter didn't need a lesson to walk on water. Peter didn't need, the faith was already in him. Believing that he could do it was already in him. It was there, but all he had to do was go, if Jesus commanded me to do this, then submitted to him, looking at him through my relationship with him, I can do it. Just like any other command given in the Bible. Peter fell when his eyes were taken off Jesus. So through Christ, anything that he would command us to do, whether it's love, whether it's encourage, whether it's not to worry, whether it's not to be afraid. So when you're facing those circumstances, those unforeseen things, those things that you have been praying for for a long time and you're just not seeing the answer to, when it says don't grow weary, you go, I know that I don't have to grow weary because I can do all things through my relationship with Christ. I know that I can forgive. I know that I can be at peace. I know that I can believe. I know that I can have faith through Christ, through my relationship with Christ. But isn't it crazy that Peter did not get out of the boat until Jesus commanded it? Because he knew if Jesus commanded it, that he could do it. So now that makes me read my Bible a different way. It goes, if Jesus commanded it, I can do it. Not on my own, but through him. And then the second um, example that I wanted to give with that is that David, when you think about uh, David even fighting Goliath, he didn't have to take a warrior battle lesson. He didn't have to, God didn't have to show him all these things to defeat the giant. God used what was already in him to defeat the giant. He just had to be obedient with it. He just had to be obedient, not in his own strength, but in God's strength. The same is true for us. Any giant we're facing, any battle we're facing, any uncertainty we're facing, any confusion, it might just be confusion. Any of those things that we're facing, you'll know if the Bible commands it, I have it in me and I surrender it to God. Cast your care on God for he cares for you. That's what it says. All right, so let's keep moving. Point number three, quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option. Okay, here's what I say with that, okay? It does not matter how holy, how strong, how powerful, how many scriptures you know, how many hours you spend in prayer, it does not matter any of those things if you hold the option to quit. You will never go beyond your option to quit. So if it's an option, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. If it's an option, there will come a point that you will quit. It will go to you, it will be your default. So we have to remove the option to quit. Okay, and you're like, well, I'm not a quitter. Let me give you another example of quitting. Making excuses is quitting politely. Think about it. What are you doing? I'm excusing myself from this thing, but I'm not a quitter. I have a reason. We will excuse ourselves from things that God has. We will excuse ourselves. You, you think about it. You ask people, I mean, your marriage didn't work out. Did you quit on your marriage? No, I didn't quit on my marriage. But there will be 12 excuses why they couldn't stay. You quit politely. Did you quit on your kids? Did you, did you quit that job? Did you quit? Why? Man, you were, your relationship with God, you were going and you were, you were moving, you were doing things. What happened? I promise you, no one will tell you, I simply decided to quit. No one will tell you. They didn't quit, but there's a hundred excuses why they're justified to quit. So excuses are quitting politely. So anywhere in our life that there's an excuse, why can't you forgive? There'll be an excuse for it. No, you quit forgiving. You quit obeying the word of God. And we'll find an excuse. You think, I mean, think about all the things in our life. Quitting or excusing is just quitting politely. When we were, that same day we were snowboarding, 
we come down this mountain and uh, we get to this and I, I was waiting, I, don't, I think we were waiting on Kaylee or something, but we're sitting there and I look up and I look at the signs and I started laughing because the sign going this way says easy out and the sign going this way says caution corner. And I started laughing and I told Oren, that will preach a message and I'm gonna use it. But when you think about it, it is. There's this easy out where I can see the bottom, I can see where I'm going and I can do it by myself. Or there's caution corner that starts a bit like this and then goes like this. And if you're a snowboarder, it just goes flat. So you either gotta get speed or it's a really sad day and you have to ask the skiers that hate you for a ride on their pole. Um, so that's just really your options. But so there's caution corner or there's easy out. When we face these situations, when we face these unforeseen circumstances, what is our default? What is our default? Do we go, I can go that way because I am guaranteed in case God doesn't show up, I can see where I'm going. That's an easy out. Or do we go, no, I choose to trust God and I don't know what is coming around this corner. I don't know what I'm about to face, but that's the direction I'm gonna go because I choose to trust my God because I have a relationship with my God and I don't care what's around the corner because I know it's already in me to be able to bear it. Whatever it is, it's already in me. So which way do we take? So quitting cannot be an option. We have to remove the easy way out. We have to remove the excuses. We will excuse ourselves from the plan and purpose that God has. When it's easy for you to make an excuse for why you can't, why we can't live obedient to the word, why we can't honor our spouse, why we can't honor our parents, why we can't fill in the blank with whatever is in the word of God, why we can't, then we're excusing ourselves from what God has for us. That's what excuses do. And we're just quitting politely. Either way, either way, it will cost us. Either way, it will cost us. When I choose to take the easy way out or quit politely, when I choose to go that way, I'm gonna appease my, my flesh because I feel more confident this way because I can see the big picture. I can handle it myself. That's gonna appease my, my flesh, but it will cost me dearly spiritually. But when I choose this way, it's gonna be uncomfortable for my flesh. It's gonna make me feel like I don't wanna do this. It might make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. It might make me worry a little bit. It might make me go, I am completely stepping out in faith and I don't know what's coming, but I don't have to know. And it will cost our flesh. But when we appease our flesh, flesh, it will cost us spiritually. So regardless of which way we choose, it will cost. Be a finisher. As Paul said, he said, I fought the good fight of faith. I kept the faith that we would be a finisher. We go, I didn't excuse my way out of anything God asked me to do. I didn't excuse my way out of anything that's in the word of God. I didn't excuse my way out of a relationship with God because it was uncomfortable for me because he was confronting things in my life that I would rather not deal with. I didn't excuse myself out of those areas. I didn't excuse myself when things got hard. I didn't excuse myself when I felt like serving God was a whole lot harder than it was serving myself. I didn't quit. I didn't excuse myself. Let's look at Matthew 7:13 really quick. It says, "Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it." So one leads to life and one leads to destruction. There's a way that seems right to man outside of a relationship with Jesus. Things will seem right that are going to lead to death, that are going to lead to destruction instead of leading to life because Jesus always leads us into life. Um, fun side note here. Did you know when it says the land flowing in milk and honey? I've always wondered like, why milk and honey? And then I realized that that's how I drink my coffee. So I would always have ingredients and I would never run out. So I thought that that was probably the reason, but it's not, turns out, but he picked two things, milk and honey, two things that death doesn't have to occur to in order to have that resource. Think about it. Death doesn't have to happen to have honey. Death doesn't have to happen to have milk. So he's literally leading them into the land of life and life that keeps on giving. That's the land that God wants to lead us into, 
not into death, not into destruction. The enemy wants to lead us into death and lead us into destruction. But wide is the gate that leads to destruction. There is a way that seems right that leads to death and to destruction. But narrow, narrow is the way that leads to life. And so quitting cannot be an option. Think about Jesus even going to the cross. Think about Jesus during his fast. He had multiple opportunities to quit. Think about Jesus going to the cross and enduring the, the beating and the constant when, when it said that he could call on angels that would just come and, and end the whole thing and he'd be fine. He had that authority, but he didn't quit. He never quit. He kept going and he kept going and he kept going. And I think about, you know, again, when I, when I put myself in these stories and I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and we're like, that's such a cool story. Okay, if I had lived my life, been taken from my home, given a new name in a new land to serve another king, I'd be a little ticked off. Okay, and then I'm still trying to serve God. I'm still trying to live in obedience to God and I've got to bow down to this thing this chocolate bunny as VeggieTales would show us. And so I have to bow down to this thing, but I'm not going to, I'm choosing not going, uh, that I'm not going to. I'm choosing that I'm gonna trust God. So now I'm gonna get thrown into a furnace. Kate, don't be holy. Because I know when you face a fiery furnace, you're like, I'm out. <laughs> okay, but, <laughs> tells out, he said he's out. But no, okay, think about it. You be them for a minute. Would you maybe question God in that moment? Like maybe the chocolate bunny is the way to go. I'm getting thrown in a furnace for living life right. I'm getting thrown in a furnace for doing the right thing and living obedient to the word of God. Would you maybe question? So what did they have to know? What kind of relationship did they have to have with God to go, well, I won't be tempted beyond what I can bear or smoked beyond what I can bear in this case. Like, and they went, it says that Jesus was there with them. They didn't know he was going to be there. They didn't, they, I mean, I'm sure they did, but like, think about that story for a minute. In complete confidence in their God. And they didn't quit, even at that moment. Think about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. Again, God, all I did was pray. <laughs> I didn't even do anything wrong. All I did was pray. And I'm thrown in a den the lions. And sometimes I catch myself praying that way, and I go, oh my gosh, I feel so, so selfish that I'll face things and go, God, I'm doing everything I know to do. Why is this happening? Why can't the lion eat the bad people? Just being honest, you've prayed it too, okay? Why am I the one in the fire right now? Why am I the one facing this right now? Because you can't be tempted beyond what you can bear? Because I've already given you everything that you need to face whatever you're facing? And that when you surrender to me and when you do it with me instead of in your own strength, then you watch what takes place. And then it's a testimony to people around you. So it has two sides. And so I, I just, I think about, and I mean, the list can go on through people in the Bible and we need to move on to our next point. But um, point number four, don't wander in the waiting. You write down whichever wonder you want, both apply equally. If that's W-O or W-A, both fit this point. Cause I know you're like, which one is she referring to? It doesn't matter, they both fit equally. Don't wander in the waiting. In the scripture there, I wanna to go to 2 Corinthians. Let me go make sure it's the right Corinthians before I send you on a hunt. Oh, good news it is. Okay, 4.8. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Think about the words in that for a minute. And maybe some of us feel like that. We're hard pressed on every side. We're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, 
but not destroyed. So don't wander in the waiting. And we're going to get to what that topic means in just a minute. Let's go into uh, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So if we don't quit, if we don't excuse ourselves politely, if we don't grow weary, And that sounds, let us not grow weary. If I'm told not to grow weary, then that means I have on the inside of me what it takes to not grow weary through my relationship with Jesus. And in due season, we will reap if we do not lose heart, if we do not quit if we do not stop our pursuit. Okay, in these waiting seasons, I mean, these can be a mix of things. You may be waiting for some, a specific answer for prayer. Maybe you're waiting for a specific healing. Maybe it's a season where you're waiting and, and praying for a spouse. Maybe whatever that season might be, you might be waiting like, God, please um, let my kids graduate tomorrow. I know they're only three, but um, redeem the time, God. Just redeem it. Um, okay, that may be a season of waiting, but whatever season it might be, it might be a season that you're going, I feel like I am hard pressed on every side. I feel like stuff is coming at me from my job. I feel like stuff is coming at me from my home. I feel like stuff is coming at me in my finances. I'm, I fasted for breakthrough and they're breaking through all right, like right through the bottom of my bank account and I don't know where it's going. I, I meant the other breakthrough that we're praying for these things, but maybe we're just not seeing it. And that could be a season of waiting. It could be a season of waiting that, that I can't hear the voice of God all of a sudden. It's like I'm in an area of real bad reception. It's in a season that I'm going, man, usually, I mean, things are just in a flow and it, stuff isn't flowing. So any of these things can be a season of waiting and it's in these seasons that we don't quit. It's in these seasons that we don't allow ourselves to wander or wonder. We don't allow ourselves to go look for, well, maybe there's another option because God isn't showing up. So I'm gonna go look for maybe other things that, that could fix my, my, my current situation. And I'll look to people and I'll look to myself and I'll look and I'll go try to fill these. Or we wonder and go, I just wonder if God is, gonna show up. Well, then it turns into this, this hope deferred makes the heart sick. And now I'm just, I just, I I don't know if God's gonna show up. I just wonder, I wonder if I've been wrong about this whole Christian thing the whole time. From the time I was saved, I've been trying to live one way. And now I just wonder if it's even, I wonder if I did the right thing. I wonder if I was ever supposed to go there, if I was ever supposed to move here, if I was ever supposed to marry them, if I was ever supposed to get that job. So then wonder sets in. That wonder is just doubt. And the other wonder is that I'm going to find something else because God's not showing up. So I'm going to figure this out my own way. So now I'm going to go back to the last point and I'm going to find the easy out. It may end into destruction, but hope I can bear it. And that's how we'll end up living. So don't wander in the waiting. Be intentional about this season that we go, I'm not gonna quit regardless of what I see or regardless of what I don't see. What I hear or the silence, whichever that it is, I choose that I'm gonna wait on God. Because now let's go to Isaiah 40, 31. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. We just read, don't grow weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
those that wait. They don't wander in the waiting. They don't wander in the waiting, but they wait on God. And when you look up that word wait, it does not mean sit back and do nothing. That word wait means an active pursuit of God. That in this waiting, I'm gonna pursue you like I never have before. I'm gonna pray like I never have before. I'm gonna be in your word. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna wander. I'm gonna find a, a word. I'm gonna find a scripture for every wonder or doubt that goes through my mind. And that is what I'm gonna meditate on in this season of waiting. And my favorite scripture in the entire Bible is Psalm 27, 13 and 14. And I wanna read that as well because it's in these seasons, these seasons of, of waiting where things get difficult. And it says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. And in the Amplified, it says, and confidently expect. When we wait on God, I'm expecting God to show up. And I don't care if I'm waiting a year. I don't care if I'm waiting 50. I confidently know that my God is gonna show up. Again, hold on a second. Lots of people have told me, I, I just struggle with the waiting seasons. Wait is a command. And we've learned about commands that if he tells me to wait, then he's already put everything in me that I need to wait productively in that season through my relationship with him. I can wait because he commanded me to wait, which means he's equipped me to wait. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Wait, I say on the Lord. So in these seasons, it's a season to actively pursue our relationship with Jesus. It is a season to actively pursue what he says in his word. It's a season to actively pursue a relationship with him through his word. That's what these seasons of waiting are because sometimes we've got to come to the point that we go, I'm, I'm not going to go do it on my own. I'm not gonna look for another option. I'm not gonna allow doubt, doubt and fear. Maybe it's a season that sometimes in these seasons for me, in every season of waiting, I can honestly say it was a confrontation of pride to go, you can't do it outside of me. Every season of waiting has led to that. Every season of waiting has grown more in me than could have been grown in any circumstance on earth. Those seasons of waiting, they're pitiful. They're pivotal. They are pivotal in our walk with God because so much is developed in those seasons. Let's look at James 1, 2, and I'll show you that. You guys getting anything? James 1, 2, and we'll read forward there just a little bit. I'm just not sure how far. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That I count it all joy when I fall into this because the testing of my faith the testing of my faith produces patience. Again, if I'm told to count it all joy, that's a command, which means we have the ability through our relationship with Jesus to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. But here's what that takes. And I know I keep saying that and you're like, but how, how do I do that? Cause I don't know how to count it all joy. You don't, but you submit it to God. You surrender it to God. You cast your cares on God and you go, God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this and I need you to give me the strength that I need to do it. And then we walk in obedience to his word and you watch as the supernatural strength flows through you. And if you're not seeing the answer, go, God, you're not asking why, like you're questioning God, but you go, God, I need you to show me, I need you to position me that if I need to pray different, but if I just need to sit here and I need to actively wait, if I need to, what is it? What is this season? Reveal this season to me. It's huge. It's huge. Another thing that is very important when the Israelites crossed over the, the Jordan River to go into the promised land, it says that they built an altar there. And the purpose for the altar was so that every generation to come would ask what that altar was for. And it was evidence of God's faithfulness. It was evidence of God's goodness. It was evidence. I keep an evidence journal. 
Every prayer answered, everywhere that I've seen God come through in my life, everything that his word says that I've watched with my eyes or watched in someone else's life. Because here's the thing, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means what he did in the word, he'll do for me. I said it before, you've heard my dad say it, that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Shelby. And you can put in your, your name in that, that he is also the same God to us. He is the same God to you, regardless of what we're facing. And if I received a healing then, or I watched someone receive a healing then, well, then my God's going to do that for me. If I watch them get breakthrough or I got breakthrough in this area, my God's going to do it again. And I confidently wait for him to show up. And so keep that, keep that evidence where you go, I don't question God's faithfulness because I've seen it. The Bible says to taste and see. I can wait actively on him no matter how long because I've already tasted it, because I've already seen it, I've already experienced it, I've already been there. And so therefore, I do not question that he'll do it again because he promises he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have that assurance in him. So we are being developed. So don't wander in the waiting. Don't let that season be stolen. The Israelites had their waiting be stolen and they missed out on what God had. They missed out, they missed out every miracle. Wasn't even recognized, never once in the entire time that they were in the wilderness did they say thank you. Never once, you can read it, it's not in there. There was no, there was no gratitude, they missed everything that God had. And so it's never a question of God's faithfulness, it's a question of ours. God always comes through. If he said it, it'll come to pass. Do our part in obedience in all seasons. All right, number five, who we got two more points in nine minutes. We're gonna go real fast. You guys got your pins ready? Stretch your wrist out, twiddle your fingers a little bit. Okay, if not, it's on Facebook. You can go rewatch it to get your notes. You can pause me, mouth open, awkward facial expressions. It'll be fine. Um, all right, number five, be alert and be intentional. Be alert and be intentional. Okay, in these seasons of resistance, in these seasons that things are going on, we cannot afford to fall asleep. We cannot afford to just get lax and God will come through when he comes through. I'm gonna just go to church when I go to church and spend my prayer time when I spend my prayer time and pray like I've always prayed. Can't do that. We gotta be alert and we gotta be intentional in these seasons because here's why. In these seasons, we're vulnerable. In these seasons, the enemy all the time is trying to take us out. Go to 1 Peter 5, 8. He is constantly trying to take us out. He is an enemy. He comes to steal or to only to steal, to kill, and destroy. He does not want to play nice. We're going to start in six. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour seeking whom he may devour. Again, let's keep reading there. Resist him, command. It commands me to resist the devil, which means God has given me the ability through him to do so. I have authority over the enemy in my life. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Other people, you are not alone. Other people are walking through what you're walking through. It's not gonna be identical because they have different plans and purposes and gifts on their life. That's why we should not compare ourselves to a plan we were never meant to live. That's another side note, but be watchful, be vigilant, be alert be on purpose, that is part of how we persist through the resisting, that I will not let this season be wasted and I'm gonna be here on purpose and I'm gonna face things on purpose. Um, I read a book called Marine Sniper, a phenomenal book. I think you still have it because it wasn't at my house. Um, but it's an incredible book about Carlos Hathcock. He's a sniper in the Vietnam War. And one of the stories, one of my favorite stories in there is that he, um, they called him in so that they could take out this Vietnamese marksman. He was taking out all of their generals and he said, we need you to hunt him down and we need you to take him out. And so he goes and he's hunting, which I'm like, how does one sniper hunt another? I'll ask one someday. It's just an interesting thing to me. But so he's going and he's looking and it said that he's sitting, sitting with his rifle and that he saw a sparkle, just a sparkle. So he shot at the sparkle and when he walked over to see what he shot, he found this Vietnamese marksman dead. But his bullet had gone through his scope and went through this guy's eye, obviously into his head, and that's how he died, okay? And you're like, oh, gory story. <laughs> this is so adorable. 
We love coming to church. All right, but here's what that means. The only way that that is possible is if he also had Carlos in his sights. Carlos simply pulled the trigger first. He simply pulled the trigger first. It's the only way that that's possible to happen, okay? Same way when we are alert with our enemy, when there's thoughts of doubt, when there's thoughts of fear, when there's the emotion of anger, when there's things coming up that are contrary to the word of God, and that's why it's important to be in the word of God, that anything that we shoot it, that we get it, we kill it in our lives before it takes us out. And so we have to pull the trigger first on the enemy. We don't need to wait for him to attack us to then go counterattack. But we be aware of any area in our lives. What areas am I living contrary to the word of God? Is there anything? The Bible says over and over to cleanse yourself, to cleanse your soul, to cleanse your thinking, to renew your mind. It says it over. And the purpose for that is because we don't want anything in our lives that gives the enemy an open door to attack us. He's already after us. I don't need to give him a reason or an entrance into my life. And so anything contrary, anything, it says the flee even the appearance of evil. It doesn't even have to be evil. Even the appearance, it says to flee. It doesn't say to step aside. It says to run and flee. If it is a question, if it is the appearance, if anything in my life is questionably contrary to the word of God, flee from it flee from it, that we're that bold about it. And then any thought of doubt, any thought of fear, anything that could be an attack from the enemy that we pull the trigger first and say, it's not welcome. I have authority. I can resist you because God says I can. It says to resist the, resist the devil and he will flee. So we can't afford for the, not to be um, alert and intentional about these seasons, but it comes through knowing him and his word, anything outside of it. And then let's look at um, 2 Timothy 2, 4 with that. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs in this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must, first, must be first to partake of the crops. Oh, verse three is where I wanted to start. Sorry, I'm like, we're missing one part. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs in this life. You must endure hardship. No one engaged in warfare. And what does that mean? I can't participate in life because I'm a good soldier. That's not what that means. Okay, some of us are like, I don't have to fight with you because I'm not engaging. <laughs> okay, that's not what it means. We're gonna do life. But what that means is anything that we would entangle ourselves with that would distract us from where God's taken us. That if I have to look over here to deal with it and take my eyes off Jesus, it's a distraction. That's what that means. I will not entangle myself with the affairs of this life, but I will endure hardship. Two scriptures I'm gonna give you just for reference that you can go look up. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. on that one. Number six, voices matter. We're almost done, I promise. Voices matter. The people that we have in our life matter, especially in these seasons. It matters in all seasons, but in these seasons specifically, the people, the voices that we have surrounding us absolutely matter. Okay, First um, Corinthians 15, 33. We're gonna rapid fire some scriptures here just to back this point up because it, it does make a difference. It does matter. 1533, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts. Now, does that mean that we can't have people in our life that aren't Christians? No, that's the world we're supposed to be reaching. What I'm talking about in this is that there's a close group of friends that are allowed to speak into your life that you actually listen to, okay? Because there's two sides of this, is that we'll have people that, um, I don't allow anybody to speak into my life because I'm most definitely more holy than all of them combined. And I don't really agree with what they say. No, that's prideful because you don't have accountability and they challenge you and you don't like it. That's what that is, 
okay? So there's that. But then there's also, everybody can speak into my life, but then I live my life confused because so-and-so has this theology and so-and-so has this theology and, and they think that I'm going through this because I did something wrong and they think I'm going through this because the enemy hates me and, and they think I'm going through this because I brought it upon myself and, and I don't know who to listen to and too many voices. And so when I talk about these voices, it's not your glob of friends as a whole. It's who do you have in your life that you trust to speak truth into your life? But I wanna say that with two sides, is that also in this, in this voices, is everybody, it is vital to have the voice of accountability in your life. Living without accountability, living without it, when you choose that I don't need accountability in my life, God is my accountability. He's all of our accountability, okay? We need accountability in our life because sometimes in these seasons, things can get blurry, things can get confused. Things can seem questionable. And it could possibly be, but because I can't really see the whole picture and because I'm kind of weighed down with all that's going on that I'm making decisions that do not line up with the word of God, but I've made them line up with the word of God in my mind and I'm taking a path to destruction. Accountability will say you're off. Okay, here's two parts of accountability. One, set them intentionally. Ask somebody to be your accountability. Two, sign a waiver in blood. Here's why I say that, because everybody wants accountability until accountability is needed. And I've watched it too many times. That... When I have accountability and I ask, or even if I don't ask, my accountability has a right to intrude my life at any time because there's safety that way. Because here's the other thing, I choose accountability that listens to the voice of God. And if I'm listening to the voice of God and they're listening to the voice of God, then there's going to be a peaceful outcome. There's going to be some alignment. There's gonna be some confirmation that I need. And this is huge because when there's accountability that speaks into your life, just because you don't like what they say doesn't mean they're wrong. It means you have a pride problem. And I don't mean that, I actually do mean that harsh. <laughs> Try to make it nice, not happening. We shoot people through the eyeballs in this church, okay? Have accountability and be bold about it and be intentional about it. Your accountability is looking out to your best interest. But then here's what you do. Your accountability did not sign up ever to be your God, nor did they die for you. They're still human. So now I take what my accountability says and I say, I have trusted you to be, a lot of times these words will actually come out of my mouth. That's hurtful, but I have trusted you to be my accountability. I'm gonna go pray about it. And I do, and my accountability has never been wrong, never once because accountability will always confirm something and it'll bring things to light. Pride will say, I'm right and you're judgmental and you're critical. And I'm just going through things that you wouldn't understand. When you say that to your accountability partner, when you say you don't understand, you are politely excusing yourself from truth. When you say, God told me this, so I'm not listening to you. You are politely manipulating your way into destruction. It's slightly chilly in here. Good, we all laughed again, good. I know those are hard, but guys, it's truth. And it will save destruction, get accountability that lives their life according to the word of God. Do not get, here's the thing. You wanna live sober? Your accountability partner cannot be an alcoholic. We laugh, but honestly, and that's a broad picture, like the most extreme, that we surround ourselves with people that are pushing us in the direction of the word of God. That's the accountability that we need in our life because however many people that'll be, you'll be the fifth of their friends and we'll imitate them. 
So strong accountability is very important. Voices are very important. When Adam and Eve in the garden, when they said we were ashamed and we hid because we were naked, what's the first thing God said? Hmm. Voices matter. Who told you? Voices matter. Somebody revealed something to you that is contrary to how I created you. So we were listening to a voice that was contrary to mine. That's what he was pointing out there. Who told you that? So voices matter. I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to quote, well, let's go to Psalm 1-1 really quick. Any accountability or group of people or voices in our lives that we keep that just keep us comfortable are dangerous because they're more concerned about keeping a friendship, pleasing man, and appeasing my flesh than they are of telling me truth, okay? But then there's also the danger of no voices because I choose to isolate myself. Here's what I want us to know. Jesus didn't even isolate himself. He went away to have private times in prayer, but when he was about to face the greatest thing that he could ever face, he got the disciples and said, pray with me. That's the kind of life that we are to live, not isolated. Anytime that we are isolated, you're wolf bait. Any sheep on the outside is going to get taken out first. This message was not intended to be violent and bloody, but it just keeps going that way. Okay, Psalm 1-1. I have preached this multiple times, and I have never put two and two together, but there's not a big gap until after verse 3. I always gap it after verse 1, meaning it all goes together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, meaning the advice of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper and come to maturity. The first part in there was, blessed is the man who does not receive the counsel or the advice from the ungodly. And then that ends up to being the tree. And then if you keep studying out trees throughout the word, it talks about that these, that these trees that are planted by the river, that even in seasons of drought, they stand. That even in seasons of storm, they stand. And they do not, it says that they do not, not bear fruit. They always bear fruit, even in resisting seasons, even in hard seasons. But the first part of that was not just to be in the word. It was the voices that we're listening to. And then in Proverbs, I'm just going to quote these quickly. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of your friend. Are you sharpened by your close circle that you are surrounded by? If you leave dull, if you leave dull to the things of God, if you leave dull to the things of church, if you leave dull to the things of the word, if you leave dull spiritually, they're not sharpening you, and they need to move down a level in your friend's line. If they're pulling you out of church, pulling you away from a relationship with God, instead of causing you to pursue that, it will dull you. Be very careful of the atmospheres we put ourselves in. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 talks about spurring each other on. Okay. Um, I really got to like, okay, so like my horses. If I have to spur them on, they weren't listening the first couple times that I asked politely. That's spurring each other on. And so the people that are in our close circle... The people that are speaking into my life, they need to be okay with spurring me on sometimes when the first couple hints didn't cut it. We go, no, we're gonna get you there. It says to stir up the gift of God, to stir up each other, to encourage each other. Those are the kind of people that we want in our life. It also says to not, right after that, says to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do not forsake the assembling. In seasons of dryness, in seasons of resisting, in these hard seasons, the first thing we want to do is isolate ourselves because everything feels like too much. So we pull away from people, we pull away from church, and we pull away from our relationship with God. Those are the first things to go. It's a trap of the enemy. And that's where accountability goes. Um, I don't care how you deal with this, but it's going to be in church. That's how we're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it in the word. We're going to deal with it. And we have people in our lives that don't allow us to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And then in Psalms 92, 13, it says that um, those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. It does not say dependent on which season they are going through. 
Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. When you think about something planted, it doesn't get to pick and choose where it resides all the time. If you're planted, you're there, which means you get stuff to help you grow there and you produce fruit for everything there. Does that make sense? So there's a voices in our life. Avoid a voice of comfort or one of agreement and a voice of isolation, but get a voice of accountability. It's very vital, but no voice replaces the voice of God. First and foremost, the voice of God. Okay, the last point, everybody say, praise Jesus. All right, the last point is be still. In these seasons, sometimes our, and I know, I mean my personality, but in these seasons, my personality says, be busy, be busy. I was busy before, but now I'm gonna be 10 times busier so I can avoid whatever I'm facing and that's going on because it helps distract me. Be still. Bible says, be still. Psalm 46, 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Worrying doesn't solve anything. It only stills the peace that I have in the moment. Be still. Sometimes the most fearful part about being still before Jesus is that he's going to know everything. He already knows everything. But for somehow we think like if we run really fast and we're blurring, he can't really see all the dark spots in our life. And when we're still, we can see it all. Okay. He never, he never asked us those commands we were talking about. Never once does it say be perfect. Never. Never once does it say that. Why? Because he already sent Jesus. We're not created to be perfect. He says, I will perfect that which concerns you. But we weren't created to be perfect. He sent Jesus already.